0: Hello and welcome to Flying High with Flutter. I'm your host, Alan Weima, and today I have a very special, very interesting guest. Of course I say every guest is special, but they're all special in all unique ways, right? So today I have Ken Van Dyne. I believe I said that correctly. That's correct. And he is the engineering manager for Ubuntu Desktop. Did I say that one correct too? That's correct. Okay, so you may recognize him. He was the speaker at I think it was Flutter 2.0 Engage, and you talked about uh, Ubuntu using Flutter for their desktop, and I believe even for their installer. Mm-hmm. So why don't you just do a quick introduction about yourself so we know a little bit more about you?
1: Yeah, um Ken Van Dyne, I lead the Ubuntu desktop team here at Canonical, uh, and I've also been leading the effort to uh you know bring Flutter to Linux. Um and uh, hopefully opening up more possibilities for app developers. Yeah, I heard a
0: lot of people. I mean, I've heard sides saying that it's good and sides saying it's bad, right? Because <laughs> uh, some people are saying, oh, yeah, you know, this is going to have not very good apps, or why do I have to switch from GTK or GNOME to, to mm-hmm. this one? Like, what is your – what have you guys been noticing once this kind of announcement came out? Has it been mostly positive or –
1: uh, it's been very positive um i mean so so really a lot of the motivation behind uh why we got involved with flutter uh was really about opening up the application ecosystem for developers to bring their applications to linux um you know in the past like you mentioned gtk uh you know gtk is a great toolkit it's fine um you know it, it, it you can write beautiful apps in gtk however you were not seeing app developers writing mobile apps and um, you know, at least not to the scale that we want to see mobile apps and other desktop apps for, you know, Windows, Mac, whatever, in um, GDK. It's just it can be done, but it's it's just not something we, we're seeing a lot of app developers doing. Um, so really, it's all about, you know, giving people choice. Um, so going to the app developer. So we already have there's there's thousands and thousands and thousands of app developers writing apps in Flutter already. Beautiful apps that run great on Android, great on iOS. And uh, once uh, Google announced that they were adding desktop support so they could work on desktop operating systems, um, you know, we took the cue from that to say, hey, you know what, let's make this work great on Linux. And uh, so uh, we invested the engineering resources to uh, get the Flutter shell running on Linux so you can target embed Flutter apps in that same shell, which is how the desktop apps work. Um, and that's out there now. It's in 2.0. Um, it works great. It's very performant. Um, we've got full accessibility support. Um, really, right now we're at the point where we're, we're uh, maintaining it in par with the other desktop platforms. Um, but it was really about, you know, making it possible for existing app developers to bring their apps to Linux. Um, as opposed to targeting people go out and write a brand new app so it works on Linux or rewrite your app from scratch. Um, let's take your existing code base and bring it to Linux.
0: Yeah, that's that's true. But I mean, some things obviously don't don't work out. And I think that out of the three desktop platforms, I think maybe Ubuntu, or not Ubuntu, but Linux in general, may be not as popular. I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of curious about if you have any kind of stats or any kind of uh, feedback about that.
1: Uh, well, I don't really have stats on comparison them, comparing them to the other platforms. Um, I will say some of the motivation, uh, that we heard from Google was, um, you know, many of the app developers that are targeting mobile platforms are doing their development on Ubuntu. And, um, so it's, it's, uh, it's great to be able to write your app and at least iterate on it and be able to run it on your desktop as opposed to in an emulator or pushing it to a device. Um, you know, be able to do the development natively and then deploy it to multiple uh, platforms. Um, so there was a lot of interest there because many of the Flutter developers are running Ubuntu. Because of course, Ubuntu and Linux in general is just a great developer platform. It's, uh, you know, it's great to do your development, all the tools and things like that.
0: All right, now I do have a big question for you. Um, I, I'm not, I mean, I do use Linux all the time, but more for deploying code. Uh what I have heard is that there is a big inconsistency when it comes to dependencies on Linux, right? I think each platform comes with certain libraries and some then don't, mm-hmm. and then how they bundle it. And I've always heard that, like, there's this kind of problem where, like, for shared libraries, like, sometimes they expect the version to be there and then they cannot, so they try to bundle their own. Like, that's mm-hmm. what I kind of hear when it comes to... um yeah, the the developer experience on Linux in general, right? Not not just Ubuntu. Yeah. How is Ubuntu or Canonical handling this kind
1: of uh, issue? Yeah. So I mean, so this is kind of a n- notorious problem that that Linux has had, and uh, we've got a uh, a very interesting solution for this. Um, you know, but yeah, for decades now, it's been oh yeah, this app works on on Ubuntu, but yeah, it doesn't work on this other distro because it doesn't have a new enough uh, libgdk or some other library. Um, that is needed. And it was this concept of using shared libraries to keep your app small. So you're linking these libraries that you expect to already exist. Um, the problem is then your app's not terribly portable. Like, you know, you download a binary for something and it doesn't work on uh, a different distro, for example, or any, even an older version of Ubuntu because the libraries are older. Um, so this is where containerized apps really work great, right? Because you can bundle all those dependencies in your app and run it inside of a container. I and mean, yeah, there's other ways to, bundle the dependencies inside your app or statically link or that sort of thing. Uh, But there's a lot of other benefits to containerized apps. Um, You know, our choice is snaps. So, um, you know, we encourage people to snap their application and publish it into the snap store, which is the app store for Linux. Um, And these, these snaps contain all the dependencies needed to run the app. And it's also distro agnostic. So um, there are, you know, Dozens and dozens and dozens of distros out there that have SNAPD support built in. Uh, If you're on any of these distros, and all the main major ones do, um, you can just very easily go to the SNAP store and install your SNAP and it'll have everything you need to run, regardless of the version of your host OS. Um, So that's great. Plus it gives you a lot of security because it runs inside of a sandbox and it's protected from the rest of your host. So it doesn't accidentally link against a library that maybe has been that maybe may malicious this on your host, um, or you know accidentally link against a, a version that's not going to work the same way as you tested it. So you tested it with a certain set of dependencies, and then you deploy it on this other machine, and it doesn't have that dependency. It's always going to work the same regardless of the distro you're on. Um, but also it's protected, so like you can you can have very fine grained controls. Like this app can't have access to my microphone. Um, And, you know, the user can choose to allow access or not. Uh, to the microphone, just as an example. There's many examples of that. Um, you can also have an app that only works in Wayland. It doesn't actually you disconnect it from X, so it can't it does it can't talk to X11, which has a lot of security implications. Um, so there's there's a lot of fine grain controls in there. So uh, it's not only a containerized app, but it runs inside of a sandbox. So that's our preferred way for um, app developers to pa- package their applications. Um, and as far as uh, Flutter working on other distros just Linux in general, Uh, if you go to uh, flutter.dev, the recommended way to install Flutter is to install the Snap. So uh, Flutter is published in the Snap store as a Snap itself, the SDK is, and if you install that, it includes everything you need to build. So if you choose the alternate install instructions to install Flutter on Linux, if you don't choose the default way, it tells you, go. if you're on Ubuntu, go install all these packages. If you're on Fedora, go install all these build packages, things that are necessary to compile the application. Um, in with the Snap, it has everything you need. And the versions are consistent regardless. If you're on Fedora and you wanna do um, you know, Flutter run in your application, it's just gonna work. Um, it has everything you need bundled in so there's a lot of power in that so we package flutter the same way we recommend packaging flutter applications as well within the application for example Um, so yeah hopefully that answers your question
0: i could see this fixing the problem of like getting your development environment going but like what about deploying your app to uh other people who may not have snaps or may not have the shared libraries is that going to be an issue or everything's going to be statically linked
1: well so in the case of flutter apps actually uh it creates a bundle that has everything you need to run the application. Um so in uh when you do when you when you build for the linux target it does include everything you need in that. Um it actually might not include libgtk but it it it'll it'll work on any reasonably modern uh linux distro. Uh but yeah it bundles for the most part everything with it. Uh but again if you target um or even Flatpak. I mean, so we, we promote snaps. We have a snap store. We think it's great. Um, but there's another, uh, you can have containerized apps that run in Flatpak as well. It's a competing runtime. And it's the same sort of thing. It bundles all the dependencies. So you could create a Flatpak of your Flutter app as well, and it will work great on Linux. Um, so it, it should take the the shared library issue out of it. Okay. Do you mind to talk
0: more about snaps? Because I tried to use snaps, but I couldn't quite wrap my head around it. I've used uh, dpkg. I think apt-get. Yeah, deep, yeah, these ones I understand pretty well. But snap is, uh, I guess it's. How do you compare to something? Else? So since, since we're talking about Ubuntu, right? Apt-get. Right. That the apt they call them apts yeah, app, or what do you call those? We call it. App. Okay. Uh so how would you compare like apt versus uh snap and how can you like say snap in like a very simple way sure. so it's a containerized app would you compare it also to a container itself like docker container
1: uh well not quite like a docker container but um so docker has a lot of privileges to the host so so apt you know apt is great it's uh, it's how how we build ubuntu today and the core os runs as app packages. Um, although we are working on a fully confined snap based uh, version of Ubuntu as well. So the entire desktop will be uh, sandboxed essentially. Um, but yeah, so the app based pack, uh, packages are dev packages. They're based on Debian and they have, there's no control. There's full access to everything on the disc. Um, anybody can write out files. Um, the system is not immutable. So like if you, for example, PPAs are great, Personal Package Archives. Um, this is a, a app repositories that anybody can create and drop a package in um, on Launchpad, which is something that's hosted by Canonical as well. Um, however, anybody who, um, uh, anybody can drop a package there, which could be malicious, right? Like maybe it has a, a Bitcoin miner built into it and you enable this PPA on your host and do an app get upgrade and you get this, you know, uh, update to a package that has something malicious in it. Um, You don't really know. Um, So when it comes to snaps, these are actually maintained, they're published to a store um, and it's, uh, to get technical, it's a SquashFS. So it's one file that gets, uh, when you run the, at runtime, it unzips it and mounts the SquashFS read-only in a location on the disk. So it's read-only. And, it's, and it won't run if it's been tampered with. So if, uh, for example, there's no way for somebody to like drop in a library that overrides a library that the application bundled and uh, use something malicious in that library. Um, it's, it's like I said, it's read-only, it's immutable. And when you run it, you know what you're running is exactly what the app developer published. Um, and it includes everything you need to run the application, and the sandboxing features that I talked about earlier um, are all provided, so it has no access to th- resources on the host that you don't allow it to have access to um, so it's a it's a much more modern packaging system uh, than apt um, and yeah you know, a lot of people used apt, uh, debian packages like you would get via app to actually build snaps so they'll take the uh, deb format binaries and repack those inside of a Snap, so you get the Snap advantages. That way, they don't have to build their app multiple times. Um, but really, the, the target for Snap applications are uh, independent software developers, right? So, yes, we package uh, plenty of our own apps as Snaps, but there is an, an enormous ecosystem out there of um, uh, application developers that are packaging their applications as Snaps already and publishing them to the store. Uh, for example, you know Spotify, um, Skype, you know, all these very mainstream applications. That's how those uh, software vendors are getting their applications to Linux users today.
0: Actually, now I'm, I'm kind of curious, right? So you said SquashFS, like with Snaps, it's it's a read-only file system. But if I remember correctly, when I use Flutter, I have, one of the first things I have to do is run Flutter Doctor. And then I do notice that it actually has to grab more things and maybe do some compiling and so forth. If it's originally a file system, then how does this work? Or this has already been done for me,
1: right? So okay, so there's there's um, uh, every snap gets a writable space in the user's directory. So it's a we call it snap user data and that like a sandbox or something. Yeah, well, like it's uh, it, it's it's an area for it to write data that is user specific. That's that it's necessary to run the application. So in the Flutter case, you know, Flutter is basically a big, big Git repository, right? So what the Flutter snap is, is all the libraries and everything necessary to run the Flutter SDK to build your apps and all that stuff built in. But it's not actually Flutter itself. So when you run that, it's a little wrapper that fetches the, the Git repository or downloads the release that you want in a writable space. So those files are in a user writable space because it's actually user specific as well, right? So if you have a multi user system, maybe, you know, and uh, two people using the same computer, they're in a different home directory. Um, So it does get to write those files out there, but all the everything you need to build it is in this immutable space. So same thing with like, for example, Spotify, Um, you know, Spotify has the ability to download the music to buffer in advance, right? It has to be able to write somewhere. So it writes to a cache directory um, that's actually under your home directory that is only writable by that snap. Um, The other interesting thing about that is this user writable space isn't shared across snaps. So if you have a, a Spotify snap and another snap that can play music, the other music app can't access the music that's in your Spotify library that it's downloaded. It's not, they're not accessible to each other. Um, it's in a, it's in a private space for the snap
0: okay that's that's pretty pretty nice what if you do want to share space between the two can you actually create some kind of link or something
1: um not really i mean you would have to use you would have to uh, tell your application to be able to write outside of that into your real home directory which is possible as a as an app developer to give it right access read write access to home um, and but then the user has the ability to be able to turn on and off that home uh, access, but both apps would have to know how to do that. Uh, and it would be something that the user would have some uh, level of intervention.
0: All right. That's, that's pretty cool. I think the next question I have is I'm thinking about snaps and it sounds pretty interesting. I'll have to get more into it. I tried to use it once, uh, I think with installing micro KS and I just couldn't wrap my mind around it. So I was just a little bit freaking out how to, how to do everything, but yeah, it, um, it should
1: be seamless. It should be real easy.
0: It should be seamless. But I think I was just like in no, yeah, I just didn't want to get into it. I was like, "What is a snap? Why do I need to do all this stuff?" But that's that's on me. That's not on you guys. But I, I'm thinking about like the the process, right? If you want to create a Mac app, you have to do build. You have like a .app file uh, for iOS. You just do. You can again, you can do build release for Windows. You can also create the .exe. Um, but what would what I think is missing on um, part of the Flutter part, and something that would be really cool to have. Uh, now that you kind of brought up the Snap thing, like if you could do like a Flutter build release for Linux, and it also includes some kind of way to build Snap from there too. Are you looking at doing something like that?
1: Uh, We we sort of have that now. Um, It's not built into the Flutter tool itself, Uh, but uh, the way you build Snaps is a tool called Snapcraft. And there's a um, Snapcraft extension that you just say, I want to build from Flutter dev, which gives a dev channel, um, Flutter master, and... That's it, and it builds a snap for you automatically uh, and there's built in tutorials both on the Flutter dev site as well as on Snapcraft site on how to do that um, you know we could look at building that in um to the flutter tool itself where it can generate the snap the the packaging metadata you need to know how to package it as a snap. We could look at doing that uh, but it's quite trivial to take an app and snap it and publish it to the store um We've had a tremendous amount of Flutter apps actually already been pub- published into the, into the uh, Snap Store. Uh, it was especially after Flutter engaged, lots of people, um, there's a whole bunch of uh, calculators, for example, written in Flutter in the Snap Store. Uh, but a whole bunch of people have published their apps in there uh, built in Flutter. If you build your app, put it into the Snap Store, I think you also mentioned that there's like
0: a security part to it, right? Mm-hmm. So is it pretty straightforward to create your own like Snap credentials to make sure that You know this app is not malicious and also it's yours and and these kind of things
1: yes so um part of the process is you have to have a developer account with our store just like on any other platform right like the play store or itunes um you have to have a developer account created um and when when you build it and upload it it gets signed with your credentials automatically Um, it'll automatically go through a review process so like for example if your application requires Uh, privileges that are unusual. Um, It will automatically get flagged for manual security review. Um, uh, We look for a lot of things in there like we have found in that review process applications that had like say bitcoin miners built into it. so we we've detected that stuff in the security reviews in the past and blocked them already. So there's a, there's a there's a review process the first time you publish it, and then as changes happen, it could trigger another another review in the future. Uh, but yeah, they're all signed by the individual uh, publisher.
0: Okay. Uh, I think the next question I, I have is: It seems like the snap's pretty straightforward, and I think we talked a lot about it. Um, if I understand and remember correctly. Uh, Canonical is actually looking to use Flutter as a desktop installer, right? Mm-hmm. So how does that work? Because I don't know, like how, how much of a runtime do you actually have at boot? Um, but then again, I'm thinking about live CD install, right? That That's kind of a live system.
1: So it's built upon that, right? It's a full live system. So, I mean, it's a little bit of background on why we chose the uh, installer. So we have an uh, installer that looks very nice. It works great. It's called Ubiquity. Uh, We've been using it for many, many years. Uh, Parts of it were based on the Debian installer. Um, It's written in Python. Uh, The Debian installer was actually, um, you know, deprecated quite some time ago. Um, So we've been having to do... It's a lot of work to maintain Ubiquity going forward. Um, And it was time to basically re- you know, replace that with something more modern. So like, and like you said, it is a full live system, right? So when you boot the boot it off of a USB stick, you get a full Ubuntu desktop environment. So you have everything you need at runtime. Uh, so we are using, um, um, we're reusing a fair bit of in-house technology already. So our, our server product uses the installer called Subiquity, um, which is the server installer. And it's, you know, been rewritten from scratch years ago, and it's it's great, and it's very modular. It uses other technologies that we have for like writing out disk partitioning, um, uh, things that are used in some of our other product, like Maz, which is uh, uh, metal as a service, so it can you know de- knows how to deploy bits to disk. Other technologies that other products we have use, um, Subiquity harnesses all of those. Uh, so the idea was we're going to write a, a, a UI in Flutter that drives ubiquity. So we're reusing all the logic we already have in an existing installer. We're just giving you a GUI um, to to drive that. So, you know, selecting which disk you want to install, disk partitioning, information about who you are, like your username, password, uh, where you're at in the world. And all of this is configurable. So depending on your workflow, uh, like for example, if you go buy a Lenovo with Ubuntu pre-installed, uh, you get the same installer experience only it's a different set of screens because you're not installing it. you're configuring it for the first time. The bits are already on disk so um it'll it'll uh, give you a different a different workflow depending on what you're trying to do. Uh, another example of that is'm um, assuming you've heard of w s l windows subsystem for linux um, yes. so uh Our out-of-the-box experience currently is actually using Subiquity, the same installer that we use for the server product. Then it asks you, if, you know, like, what's your username, things like that. Um, a few checkboxes to check. It's a very simple experience. Um, but now that we have graphical apps in WSL, we are adding different set of screens to the Ubuntu desktop installer for the WSL out-of-the-box experience. So when you configure WSL on Windows for the first time, you'll get a a GUI written in Flutter, and it's the same code base that we're using for the desktop installer. It's just configuring WSL. Um, So it's a very flexible sort of a system there. Um, A great deal of this work is done. There's actually images you can download today of Impish, which is a 2110 that'll be released in October that have that installer and it will do an install. Not all the screens are complete yet. Um, Like for example, I don't think the disk partitioning is complete. So right now it's a guided install. You choose the disk and it just blasts out on that disk. Um, But we have a lot of stuff in flight that is uh, coming together very nicely. So when do you think you'll actually
0: complete the whole process of replacing your installer?
1: So we will have images available um, of Ubuntu 2110 in October that use the Flutter-based installer. Um, We're not sure yet if it will be in our default images or just alternate images that people can test with. Um, It depends on how much really comes together. There's a a lot of pieces, and we have to make sure that it works on a really wide range of hardware, a lot of testing involved, um, and releases October 14th. So uh, it's coming up pretty quickly. So if, if we're not quite comfortable with it yet being the default, we will have alternate images that people can download and test for us. Um, But it will definitely be the default experience in 2204, which will be our next LTS, which is our long-term supported releases, uh, which is really what actually most people install when they install Ubuntu, is they install the LTS releases. Um, So we, we do, in case you're not familiar with our release processes, every six months, we have an Ubuntu release. Every two years, that release is an LTS. So the interim releases, we support for nine months um so what we have coming up in october is an interim release 2110. Uh, 2204 will be released in april and that's our next lts long-term supported release so our goal is to definitely have the new installer in the lts hopefully in the interim release this october
0: sounds pretty exciting right Do you, can you imagine like seeing all this hard work you guys are putting in and actually watching somebody flow through the whole process yeah it's it must great. Be very very exciting
1: one of the one of the most exciting things about it, actually, is uh, once we started talking about the new installer being written in Flutter, uh, we had an influx of PRs. A whole bunch of people started. I mean, to me, an installer is not a very exciting piece of code to to work on, right? Because you only experience it once when you're installing the system. You never run it again. Um, but uh, a whole bunch of people started uh, submitting PRs. Um, and getting involved in it because we had all the, des- of course, you know, we're a fully open source company. So we had all of the designs for all the screens published on GitHub as issues so people could find them. And we just had people coming out of the Woodworth work saying, I'm going to work on this and uh, grabbing a screen to implement. Um, it's been, it's been great. So, so right now actually people are,
0: how, how much of the work is actually in-house versus how much of the work is coming from out,
1: out of house? I, uh, it's hard to say on a per- per- percentage wise, um, but, you know, I think last I looked, we had had 13 external contributors contribute to the installer that that do not work for Canonical. But how many people actually contribute to it from within Canonical then, if it's 13 without or you don't know? Four or five um, regular contributors um, from inside of Canonical. I,
0: I, I'm actually kind of curious, though. So, like, how... I mean, you've been working with Ubiquity for a while. It's been working out well. I think it was just a big surprise to the whole community when you guys were like, "We're working on this," and then you just kind of dropped it, right? So, I mean, how was the flow in, with inserting this in, right? Because you're replacing basically one technology with another. Mm-hmm. Although I guess you slowly just were changing screen by screen and using Flutter to call into the native code, or, well, or how does it now, work? Well,
1: no, so we're we're calling into Ubiquity, which is something the desktop product didn't use before. So Ubiquity was the desktop installer. Subiquity was used for our server product. Um, and it had no GUI. It was all terminal-based kind of thing. It was a TUI. Um, but uh so essentially what we're doing is that Subiquity provides an API that the Flutter app can call various endpoints and actually do the hard work. So now we're we're leveraging existing work that was done for our server product. Um for the desktop installer, so uh, a lot of a lot of that hard work under the covers was was already done uh, a bit of the work has been refactoring it so it could be driven from an external um, client uh, it wasn't really originally designed to be driven that way however, all the code was there to do that um, the The old installer was just one thing it was ubiquity it was completely self contained it had all the business logic it had all the actual integration work to you know, write the bits out to disk, configure your Wi-Fi, all of that was written inside the One app. Now we have a good abstraction there. So we have the, the thing doing the real guts of the work being separate um, and a UI that drives that.
0: Okay, if I found the right repository, it looks like 98% of Subiquity is actually done in Python, though.
1: I, yeah, I mean, Subiquity is thinking... Python.
0: Okay, so there's no plans to change this into... Dart, so it's more no. native, maybe more quick. No,
1: no, no. It's it's uh, and this is a great. It's a great code base and very mature. It's been used in lots of products. Uh, no, we're we're not we're not looking to change Subiquity, um, but we're very happy with Dart and Flutter for creating the installer on top of it.
0: Okay, all right. I'm a little bit surprised, but uh, I have to take a, a look some more. I I never heard of ubiquity. I do remember hearing the word ubiquity uh, yeah. before, though.
1: Yeah, but ubiquity and subiquity aren't related in any means. Ubiquity predated subiquity a lot by a long by a long time. Um, uh, ubiquity, if you installed Ubuntu today, that's the the UI you see is ubiquity, and it has all the logic built into the app. Um, subiquity is much more modern, um, and but it's only been used in the server product in the past.
0: So, is there a reason why their names are so similar?
1: Is it just mm. just happens? I think it's just because people were familiar with ubiquity and I don't know. I, I don't know the 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 uh, lineage of the name there.
0: Okay. Uh, I think she I think you know this has been the longest I've actually talked about topic without talking about you, right? So I would like yeah. to know more about you like who who you are, right?
1: Okay. So
0: how do you how did you get into programming to begin with, right? Because I'm guessing that you probably start off as a programmer yeah. before you became engineering manager, right?
1: Yes. Uh, so I mean Really, the reason why I got started I go all the way back to my childhood when I was a kid, um I was one of these kids that when I got a toy, the first thing I did with my toy was take it apart um and put it back together again because I had to know how everything worked. I was always really curious. um so the same thing happened you know when i when I got a computer, I took it apart, and um yeah, I, but I always found computer hardware be kind of boring. I put it back together again, yeah, it's you know it's components. um but then I started getting really curious about the software. Uh, And of course, you know, this was, you know, late 1992 um, Windows 3 um, was the OS that came on my computer and none of the code was available. Um, It was uh, wasn't multitasking. So like if you switched windows, the other window froze, you know, uh, and nothing would update. And I was very curious about that sort of thing. Um, And uh, I called my ISP at the time. Um, I was living in Northern California. And ask them how, because you know, the way my ISP worked is to check email, you would telnet into a server and run pine for your email. Um, and it had screen, which is a great application for when you, when you're in a terminal to basically have multiple windows. So you can use keyboard commands to switch windows. So I could like search stuff with Gopher. Um, yeah. Yes. I'm an old guy. You can see the gray beard. I could search stuff with Gopher and switch while my search is going on. I could switch back to my email, look at my email. And uh so I actually called my ISP and I was on the phone with this guy. I was like, you know, I really don't know how any of this stuff works. How is it that I can do these two things at the same time in my little Telnet session? But on my Windows machine, when that Windows is, is in the forefront, anything I have running in the background just doesn't redraw anymore. It just doesn't do anything. So the guy I asked, talked to was super friendly and was talking to me about Unix. And all their servers run Unix, which is a multitasking operating system. And the guy was... Uh he loved talking about it. So we spent like an hour on the phone. He was talking to me about multitasking operating systems versus single task and like Windows was. And then he says, But you know, there's this new thing out there called Linux. And um at the time it was, you know, Slackware was like the only Linux distribution out there. Um, and it was like 40-something floppy disks to install it. So I went out, I bought Slackware, I spent like a week uh figuring it all out, getting it installed. Um, but the great thing was I was able to find source code for things and learn my way around that code. Uh, yeah, I was only yeah, 19 years old. And uh, I was able to dig around, find things, change things. I learned how to compile stuff just out of curiosity. And that's kind of where it all started. Um, and honestly, I've used nothing but Linux ever since. So uh, it was like kernel was like 0.91 or something like that um, for the Linux kernel at the time. And I've been very fortunate. All the jobs I've had in my career have been all Linux-based. I've been canonical for over 12 years now. And I love what I do. I love open source. I love the the fact that we can get under the covers and see what applications are doing. Um, You can can trust applications because the source code is out there. uh, And I'm a big believer of that sort of thing. So, yeah, it was really my tinkerer kind of curiosity that got me into software because I love being able to see how things work. Uh, And to this day, if I find an application that I find interesting, the first thing I go is go find their source on GitHub and poke around uh, because like I said, I'm curious. I always have to know how things work. So you actually picked up programming by yourself then? Like
0: you just learned it by just reading through source code or you actually got a book and went through it?
1: Yeah, I probably had some books at various times. Um, I, I wasn't a computer science major uh, but I did take some uh, programming classes where I learned C um, at the time. Uh, but really, most of uh, mostly self taught, uh, just out of curiosity and passion because um, I love this stuff. So uh, this is what I would do if I didn't have to work for a living. So it's I'm very fortunate.
0: Okay, so what, what was actually your first programming job? I mean, I guess. Back then, you didn't have to have a you know CS degree
1: or something similar, right? So. I was a um, I, I ended up being a dot-commer in the Bay Area because um, I, I was actually in the military, in the Air Force, U.S. Air Force, and uh, I was um, uh, my career field in the military wasn't computer related, but since I had this curiosity and I was learning all this stuff on my own, uh, I worked in a combat communications unit which ran BSD and uh, I was often being called on to you know figure out why this wasn't working or that wasn't working uh and I ended up in um uh working in a computer room where we you know ran all kinds of reports and things on mainframes um and uh, uh stuff like that and then I ended up getting out of the military and being in the bay area um i turned into a i became a dot comer where we started you know internet startup developing websites and things like that. So that was kind of my first day job as a developer, uh, but that didn't last very long. The web technologies was never very exciting for me. So uh, I've been doing essentially Linux distro stuff for yeah you know, 20 plus years.
0: Okay. So uh, how did you end up getting to Canonical, right? Cause that's that's a pretty interesting story because I think a lot of people who do get into Linux really want to work at Canonical. It's definitely like the most famous version of, mm-hmm. famous flavor, right, of Linux.
1: Yeah so I was um uh, I was involved with another startup called RPath which uh, built tools for building linux distributions and they were like We called them uh, appliances, so it was purpose-built Linux distributions that had just the dependencies necessary to run an app. And, you know, we had lots of customers that were deploying like, you know, things doing like Wi-Fi security and stuff like that. So our our OS was running on little edge devices and stuff like that. And this was back in early 2000s, um, way ahead of its time. So that that startup, unfortunately, didn't last. Um, but in the process, I was using the same tools that we were using to build these software appliances to build as a hobby, a Linux distro called Foresight Linux. And uh, so I learned a lot about building a desktop distro. I, I've been a long-time GNOME developer, um, and I used to maintain the GNOME live CDs. So people, you know, at conferences and stuff like that would take home a CD and they could boot GNOME and see what it was all about. I also maintained a, a daily developer kit. So you could download a virtual machine that was built with the latest version of Gnome every day. We were using Subversion in Gnome at the time. So essentially every day you could boot a virtual machine fresh that had the latest version of every Gnome project um, running on it. So I got a lot of experience building desktop distros by doing that sort of thing. Um So when our path kind of fell apart um and I was looking for work, you know, I... Uh, you know, tweeted that, hey, hey time to ref- uh, brush up my resume. And uh, I got a phone call a few minutes later by a good friend of mine that worked at Canonical. And um, so I started, you know, I applied then. So I kind of had an end because I knew a lot of people that worked at Canonical long before I worked here, uh, really just from uh, getting to know people in the open source community. So, uh, you know, meeting them at conferences, people I hung out with, things that we we worked on stuff together. So I had a lot of connections.
0: Okay. So basically the listening to you, it sounds like make a lot of friends in many places. They may be helping you out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so the the, the key thing I like to tell people is, you know, do what you love because if you do what you love, uh, people will see that. And um, uh, so like helping people out in the community, know, be passionate about what you're doing um, is a bit contagious, right? So, you know, I'd be out talking about what we were doing at conferences and things like that and hanging out with people at these conferences, um, just talking to people on IRC all the time. And you get to know people in surprising places, like you might not have any idea where they're actually working. Um, So it's, but again, if you love what you're doing, people are going to see that and uh, it makes a big difference. Yeah, definitely. I, I can say that like, you know, I, so I
0: operate my own consultancy. We, we do Flutter, we do Rust, we do Elixir, right? And these three languages have been the most happy, uh, using. And, uh, I think when I talk with clients, when I talk to other people, like when we're talking about the technology, yeah, I definitely light up and I think that I can feel them floating towards me, right? That, Mm -hmm. you know, they also kind of get infected by the happiness. So I can, I can understand what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Um now I think the the next question I have is like uh you know when did Flutter first come on your guys' radar, right? Because it it is it just when Ubuntu or sorry, just when like desktop was announced, or was there anything before that?
1: Uh well so when, when Google announced the desktop support in Flutter, that they were going to work on that. They had a preview version um at the time, but nothing that was, you know, production ready. Uh, we saw that news and it's like, you know, uh uh we see a real future here with Flutter. Um and we started investigating, um, you know, got into touch with the, the Flutter team at Google, which has been great. We have a great relationship with those folks. Um, and uh they've been just amazing to work with. Um, yeah, I think partially because hey, we're we're investing in Flutter, right? So you know we have engineers dedicated to working on Flutter upstream um and uh but it's, it we've really built a really good relationship there uh but yeah we we decided pretty early on that you know flutter is a great opportunity to grow the linux application ecosystem and that's really what drives all of this it's not uh, you know we didn't get involved with flutter because we want to rewrite our installer in flutter or we have a specific application that we really want for that what we saw was a great opportunity for an amazing toolkit to build applications that not only build new applications, but there are lots of existing applications already written in Flutter. So let's enable those app developers to bring their apps to Linux. But not only Linux. I mean, uh, if if we help the if we help the desktop ecosystem for Flutter, even if it improves the experience on Mac or Windows, it all helps Linux. the The, the more we can drive app developers to want to target multiple platforms the better off our users are gonna be, giving them access to even more beautiful, great applications um, and lots of variety. So uh, it's really about developing that ecosystem to bring the app developers. So maybe today they're not thinking about releasing their application for Linux, but you know, if it's super trivial to do so, why not? Um, uh, So we're helping to uh, build that platform to make it more appealing. And we're helping out wherever we can, not just on the Linux front. I think the the next question I have is, is there any plans to be able to build linux
0: from like from windows from from mac I mean I obviously you could use WSL but like without WSL I think that would be very killer right because like I said not many people not everybody uses uh linux mm-hmm. but for sure a lot more a lot of people use windows especially right right uh um, is there any thoughts about that
1: yeah so there um you can you can do some of this today, like you know there is um, uh, using some of the tools, but it's always going to use some sort of a container technology to do the actual build, right? Like you can't just build on native Windows and target and target Linux, but um, you know there's Snapcraft. We have a MultiPass, uh, which is one of our products that is uh, uh, you know, basically manages containers and VMs, um, and MultiPass works on Windows and Mac. Uh, so Snapcraft can leverage those things so you can build a snap on other platforms for Linux. Um but under the covers there is some sort of a VM or container um that's making that possible.
0: Okay. It's
1: I'm curious if there's any like CI/CD solutions because I know there's some oh, yeah. for like uh, there is already. Yeah. GitHub Actions has yeah, GitHub Actions for example, I mean we use it uh, for a tremendous amount of stuff and Uh, It's super easy to get your app building and deploying on on Linux um, from your existing GitHub project. Uh, And there's other solutions too, right? Like, you know, things on GitLab and, you know, we have snaps that are being published to the store from GitLab as well as GitHub and other places.
0: Seems like there's really kind of an exciting space. Uh, (laughs) I feel like I'm missing Mm -hmm. out on this. Yeah, you should definitely look at building your app on Linux to see how it works. I mean, the only thing for me is I'd have to pull out my VM, but I already have a VM already ready. So uh, yeah, I've right. only built
1: right. stuff for Mac and Windows. Sorry, what were you okay. going to say? I was going to say you could just you know try enabling it in GitHub to see what happens. Um, and use a, a GitHub action to uh, to do your build. Um, there's plenty of prior out th- art, prior art out there as well, so other projects that are doing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, or you could just build it natively on. Uh, your own Ubuntu system.
0: What about, uh, is I'm curious about, is there anything like a Sparkle, uh, like for for Ubuntu? And what I mean by that is like, like for Mac, it's very typical that like you'll have, a, oh, there's a new version, you press install, and then like it downloads it in the background and restarts it for you. Is there some kind of similar framework too? Uh,
1: you mean for installing an application?
0: Like for Snaps or, or something yeah. like
1: that? Well, snaps Snaps automatically refresh. So you don't have to do anything when there's a new version of snap in the store, it will refresh it for you. There's no you don't need to do like a sudo apt get
0: and update or sudo snap update. Nope, it's all seamless. Now what if the new version is buggy compared to the other one? You can revert. Okay, so you guys have figured everything out it
1: seems Yeah, you can you can tell snap to revert and it and it also reverts the user data too. So like for example, if uh, if um uh maybe somewhere in that user data it writes a database and there's a database schema so it, when on the update, it will attempt to do whatever you tell it to do for updating the schema, whatever. But if you need to revert, maybe that schema doesn't go backwards, right? So it'll also revert the user data as well. Um, so it's, it's very robust and there's also built in health checks and stuff. So as an app developer, you can tell snaps and say, you know, I need this, these scripts to run and pass in order for it to complete a refresh. And if any of those fails, it automatically reverts to the older release. Uh, and gives the user uh, you know, an opportunity to look at why and try to fix it. So there's, there's it's a very robust um, packaging system. So uh, have you ever worked with GTK? I'm guessing you must yes. have, right? Yeah. So how would you con- compare
0: your experience of working with Flutter versus working with GTK for building kind of desktop applications?
1: Um, so uh, that's a little tricky because, you know, I love GTK. You can write beautiful apps um, in it. And um, I've written plenty myself, but... The, the reality is, in, in my mind, is, you know, go where the app developers are, right? Like, I want to make sure it's as easy as possible for app developers to write these GTK apps. Um, and there's plenty of great ones out there. But um, there are a lot more people writing Flutter apps on other platforms. And so we're going to continue to work with both. So most of our default applications in Ubuntu are written in GTK. Um, they're part of the GNOME project, and we participate in the GNOME project. Uh, ourselves um, but you know we want to make sure that um, the app ecosystem is there to bring other applications to the platform that so they don't have to rewrite them from scratch to target Linux um, so we want we want to work with both um, and you know we're not closed to other alternatives right maybe in the future we'll have an, another great, Toolkit, that we will do some enablement work to bring more applications to the Linux desktop. Uh, right now, our efforts are in Flutter, and we're not going to drop that. We will continue to invest in, invest in Flutter, but we could eventually, you know, invest in some other platforms as well. It's all about building the app ecosystem and, and bringing app developers to the platform.
0: Now, let me ask you, after working with Flutter for a while, like you said, you work with GTK, I'm guessing you probably work some with GNOME too, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if you were to build an app today, after your experience, right? I i obviously maybe you would pick Flutter because you've been working with it more. But I'm saying from your experience, from your, your time with each one, which one would you kind of reach for if you had to build some
1: some kind of desktop UI? I, I would I would go to Flutter. I mean so honestly one of the for me personally, one of the, the most appealing things about Flutter is the tooling. Um, yeah, you know, there's some great tooling in GNOME Builder for building GNOME apps. Um, don't get me wrong. It's beautiful, it's very powerful, it works really well. Um, however, it's so amazing to be able to use like VS Code with a Flutter app with hot reload. You know, I can plug my phone in and hot reload the app on my phone as well, uh, on my Android phone. <clears throat> it's so cool to be able to do that. I mean, it's the tooling is one of the things that really sets Flutter apart. It's not so much the Dart language or, um, you know, the great widgets. Um, it's, it's the whole, it's the whole package, right? You get this great tooling. And maybe if you prefer working with Android Studio or VS Code, or honestly, most of the time I just work with Vim because I'm an, I'm an old school guy, but I still use VS Code sometimes too. But the hot, hot reload and those kinds of, uh, built in features are just amazing. And, uh, so the, it is my go-to is Flutter.
0: Okay. Uh, actually, I'm kind of curious about, I, I, if I remember correctly, there's Ubuntu Touch, right?
1: Does Flutter run on Ubuntu Touch? Good question, actually. Uh, so I did I did work on Ubuntu Touch in the past. So I was on the phone team for a while while Ubuntu was working on that. Um, uh, it's since been, it's being maintained now by UV ports. Um, and I do have, still have a device in my house that is running UV ports. Um, I don't think there's any reason why Flutter wouldn't work. Um, it would just need to be packaged for it. Um, but it should work.
0: Okay. This is just curious. Uh, I I also have another question too. Um, for, so if you're working with embedded Linux, right? So how good is the support too? Because I'm thinking about like the infotainment systems from Toyota, Mm -hmm. obviously I think they're running some version of Linux. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing the support, you guys also must be giving quite a bit of support to them too, right? Or is there kind of like a cross collaboration or anything?
1: Some we've obviously talked to them, but, uh, and I, you know, can't diverge, divulge information there, really, but yes, it is Linux, and uh, we're sharing a lot of the same technologies.
0: Okay, so that's pretty exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm just more so happy to hear that you know you that there is you know people working together on this one right for the greater good, and I think that's really amazing. Yeah,
1: yeah we've worked with some other partners as well that are doing not only infotainment systems, but um, you know uh, field devices and things like that, where they're creating Flutter UIs. Um, And obviously when you have a system like that, they're almost always running some variant of Linux. So um, a lot of these are using packages that we've been creating. Um, So like if you look under on PubDev, we have a whole bunch of Dart packages that we've been creating. Um, We've been uh, investing a lot in building up this uh, library of packages that make it easier to do integration work on Linux. Um, partially because we're hoping some more Flutter or Dart uh, packages out there will create Linux platform interfaces. Uh, so we're trying to make that easier. Like so for example, Dbus is a IPC system for Linux. It's the most common way for you know message passing um in, in the Linux space. We created a Dbus Dart package, which has gotten a tremendous amount of visibility on PubDev. Um <clears throat> and a lot of people are using that uh so to build other things. Um, Bluesy for Bluetooth support. So, you know, we're seeing more plugins getting access to that sort of thing. So, you know, my goal is to say you have an application and you need to be able to talk Bluetooth, use the same APIs that you would use for Android. Uh, just the Linux platform interface wraps our BlueZ package because we know how to talk to Bluetooth on Linux. Um, so we're building that ecosystem at that level so others can, can integrate there. Um, so that's a, a great way to get involved too. If uh, if you're a, a plugin developer, um, take a look at what we've done to enable your plugins to work on Linux. It'd be uh, well appreciated and a welcome addition.
0: Yeah, I, I do remember a lot of people asking questions about how to use Bluetooth. So that's pretty cool. You have Lucy. Mm-hmm. I was trying to see if you guys had an, what's your account on here so I can actually link it in the show notes, but I haven't um, seen like a
1: name on Blue Z, but I can
0: click on repository and I can see that it's canonical.
1: Yeah, we don't have a we don't have a verified publisher account yet on PubDev. Mm. Uh, it's in the works, but you know, we don't want uh, an account like that linked to an individual within the company. So our you know we have a ticket open with our IS department that is going to handle the um you know getting a common publisher set up. So that's in the works now. So all of these will be published by the same um account in the future. But yeah, if you look at some of the people that have published these and look at all their packages, um, you'll get an, an idea of what we've been publishing.
0: So the nice part about doing our show live is that we do get audience questions. So I actually have two oh, questions. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice having this feeling, right? Superstar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but very good question is, has Canonical contributed to any non-Linux-specific features in Flutter?
1: Uh, yes. Um, in fact, we're working on something uh, right now. Um, it's very exciting, but uh, multi-window support is something the Flutter team has wanted for quite some time, and uh, we are investing in that. So we have a team of folks that, you know, and you mentioned Ubuntu Touch. Um, some of the people who worked on the Unity work that we had for multi-window experiences on mobile and convergent devices like tablets and things like that, um, you know, they're still around at Canonical, and we learned a lot from that. So um, they've spec'd out an API and we're in discussions right now with the Flutter team at Google on finalizing that API. And once it's finalized, we're going to do that implementation work in Flutter for multi-window support. And we're not only doing it for Linux, we're doing it for all the desktop platforms. Um, this Back to what I was saying earlier, you know, if we make it appealing to publish your app on Windows, um, also publishing it on Linux is a no-brainer, right? So um, we, we need to improve the platform for everybody in order to do that. And I think multi-window is an area where we have the expertise to do that work and we plan to do that.
0: Yeah, that sounds like really exciting because I know that's something I would definitely love to have. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, another question we have is,
0: can I target my app for Raspberry Pi? Yes, you can. I think m- most things is, I think most Raspberry Pis are running 64-bit, right? AMD 64?
1: Uh, ARM Arm 64, and yeah. um, uh, it, it was relatively recent that the Flutter engine started to be published for ARM64, but we were really pushing for that because that's important. We need our installer, for example, to be able to run an ARM64. Um, so yes, I have a number of Flutter apps that I am running on my Raspberry Pi um, here. How's the resources on, on
0: that? Is it pretty intensive to run Flutter or not? Because I know Skia has got it's a little bit intensive now.
1: Uh, it's not too bad on a, uh, on a modern Pi um, that has the graphics. Um it, it performs pretty well. I mean, uh it could be better, of course, but it's on par with you know any sort of like GL application, right? Um so even a GTK app that leverages any sort of GL uh will have similar performance as far as you know rendering and things like that. Uh but Flutter really performs very well in that in that case. Okay. Um I think this is a really great question, is how can others get
0: involved uh in Flutter on Linux?
1: Yes, that is a great question. Um, so we would love people to, uh, to help us look at, uh, Flutter plugins and things like that, um, to uh, add more Linux platform interfaces. So things like, for example, Bluetooth, um, you know, exposing that in more common APIs, great way to get involved. There are many, many packages out there on PubDev that would be really interesting to have Linux platform support. And we hope we've provided, um, the things that require the most Linux knowledge there as Dart packages um, that should make those things relatively trivial. But it would be a great way for people to get involved is to take some um, packages out there that you already may use in your applications and help port those to add Linux support in those packages that might not be there today. Quite a few of them are there already, uh, but that would be a great way to get involved. Um, there's, you know, obviously we have a um, our own application like the installer people could get involved with. Uh, there's Yaru, which is our the Ubuntu style. Um, so there's a Yaru package on PubDev, which brings the Ubuntu style to your application. So if you want it to look native on Ubuntu, you can use Yaru. Um, so that's a great place to get involved. And that's actually a package that's not maintained by Canonical. It's maintained by the same team in the community that maintains the GTK theme for Yaru, which is our default in Ubuntu those designers in the community also maintain the YARU package on PubDev. So that's a great place to get involved. Another interesting question is, is Canonical hiring any Flutter developers at the moment? (laughs) Um, We just hired um, one that we were hiring, uh, our most recent role that was specific for Flutter. We don't currently have an open role, uh, but I hope we will soon.
0: Okay, I think I just have a couple more questions, so I don't wanna keep it for too long, right? We're about to approach our time. how about, how do you guys feel about the current state of Flutter? And, and, and like you said, you, you want to go where the developers are. Do you feel that the current state of education of Flutter is like a, in a good enough state that you, you know, that you think you can definitely get more people to come on board? Or do you feel that it's still beginning, but maybe you guys are like, you know, getting on the train in an early state and then you'll ride it out to where it's going to be making sense for you guys?
1: Um, I think it's pretty good already right now. Um, I mean, there's there's obviously plenty of room for growth, Right. But uh, Flutter does a great job. The, the Flutter team and community does a great job of advocacy already. Um, they have uh, you know these um, code labs. Um, we're actually participating on some of these code labs to bring some that are Linux specific to help. Like there's a Yaru one in the works, for example. Uh, it's not published yet, but it's in the works. So some of these Linux specific code labs will uh, show up. Uh, but we're looking to help expand that wherever possible. So um, you know we're welcome to take. Uh, Uh, suggestions there as well. Okay. And I
0: think I just have one last question Um, because I haven't taken a look at uh, any of your guys' source code. How do you guys manage your state within your apps? Is there a preferred method?
1: or using different methods or how does it work? Um, I I can't really answer that. I'm not, uh, I I don't think we are doing anything with that right now with our current apps. Um, It's really building up, we build up a JSON data structure and then we pass it to uh, Subiquity. Um, I don't think we have any sort of like real state management in our installer. Um, so I'm not the best person to answer that. Okay. Uh, That would have
0: been interesting to hear what you guys are using, but it sounds like you could just be passing data back and forth and not really holding on to any kind of state within
1: right, right now. That's the case for the installer. Yeah. Um, but other apps that we develop in the future, you know, we might need to kind of solve that. So it'd be interesting to hear what other people are doing. Um, but yeah.
0: Okay, cool.
1: Um, I think you
0: know th- this is. We already went through a lot of stuff. Uh, I think you have a lot of information. I really love to hear what's going on. Is there anything you'd like to kind of, uh, you know, tell us about any kind of latest news or any latest updates or anything else going on that you'd love to let us know before we sign
1: off? No, I think I I just covered it. You know, talking about the work we're doing multi window and encouraging people to get uh, involved with some of the package, you know, the pub um, packages on pub dev. Uh, enabling more stuff and um, for Linux would be great to see more help there people participating in that I- initiative
0: actually, I think I have one more question because this came into my head because I know that canonical and Microsoft have a very good relationship with w s l right uh, now, if I remember correctly, you guys are doing multi window support uh, I believe microsoft is is putting in multi screen support right so mm-hmm. is there any kind of cross collaboration between a team at Microsoft and a team at Canonical, or, or, or none at all.
1: Um, well, we're 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 all collaborating with the same team within Google. Um, so the, the the multi the, the multi screen thing is a little bit different than multi window. What what they're doing, um, I don't know a lot of the details, but essentially um, uh, it was making applications aware of the multi screens and being able to know where things are between those two screens. Um, it's a little bit different than what what we're doing with the, the multi-window. The multi-window stuff will allow you to do like, for example, like pop-ups, tool tips that won't get cut off on the edge of the screen, um, You know, uh, uh, dialogues, modal dialogues, things like that. Um, so you'll be able to embed those things and they'll be aware. So the experience will be different if you're on mobile, but you'll still be able to use the same APIs. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit different than what they're doing with the duo
0: okay uh yeah so if there's nothing else and i think we can we can sign off i really enjoyed having your time maybe when it does get released we can uh have you come back and hear how sure. you know how's the reception been
1: sure all right well thank you very much thank you for making the time